You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this podcast, the first in a series of podcasts under the title, Mission Possible, How Everyday Ordinary Christians Become World Changers. Welcome to episode one. You know, in this teaching, over these this series of episodes, we're going to teach you how to be a missionary to your social network. Not, not far away in some strange land, but to your social network, because that's your primary mission field. The unchurched people you already know who are your friends, relatives, neighbors, people where you work, or people at school, if you go to school. That's your primary mission field. And what you're going to learn is light years beyond what 99.9% of the pastors of any kind of denomination group or series of churches in America learn at their Bible colleges and seminaries. And we'll get into that and why that is a little bit later. But in these episodes, you're going to learn and you're going to grow to move from one of God's frozen chosen, (laughs) when it comes to mission, to a missionary, to people that are already around you somewhere, nearby people you already know. And this mission training, I want you to hear this, this mission training, if you follow it and follow all the episodes, is worth on the market today about $100,000. That's what it would cost to go to what we call mission school. That's beyond college, uh, beyond seminary. That's for people who are going to go to the so-called foreign mission field, you're going to learn what missionaries learn in a, a massaged, changed format that is at your level as a Christian so that you can be a Christian missionary, not by occupation, but as part of your ministry. And on top of the mission school elements that you're going to learn, you're going to receive from us the 30 years of field experience with literally thousands of churches on six different continents. What really matters is what you learn in these episodes that can transform you and your church and others in your church. Through the power of God and change the eternal destiny of people who right now would be classified as unbelievers. So let's begin. We're going to have a little fun. Uh, this is a story that I heard, uh, and it has a point, but it's a, it's a story that was sent to me by a pastor friend in New England uh, years ago, and I just, uh, I just love it. And this is how it goes. The wife of a Southern Baptist preacher 
was talking to her Sunday school class about a wonderful religious experience that she had last week. And this is how it went. She said, well, the other day I went up to the local Christian bookstore where I saw a Honk If You Love Jesus bumper sticker. (laughs) Remember those? Yeah, a bumper sticker. She says, I was feeling particularly sassy that day because I had just come from a thrilling choir performance at the church. I then bought that bumper sticker and I put it on the back bumper of my car. I'm really glad I did because what followed was a truly uplifting experience. I was stopped at the light of a busy intersection, just lost in thought about the Lord. And I did not notice that the light had changed. It's a good thing someone else loves Jesus, or I may have never noticed that the light had changed. In fact, I found out that lots of people love Jesus. Why, the guy behind me started to honk like crazy, and then he leaned out his window and screamed, For the love of God, go, go, Jesus, go. Wonderful testimony. While everyone was honking, I leaned out my window, and and I waved and I smiled to all those loving people. I even honked my horn a few times to share in the love. You know, there must have been a man from Florida back there somewhere, because I could hear him yelling something about a sunny beach. I saw another guy waving a funny way with only his middle finger stuck up in the air. And when I asked my teenage son in the back seat what this meant, he said, oh, it was nothing, probably the Hawaiian good luck sign or something. Well, I had never met someone from Hawaii, so I leaned out the window and gave him the good luck sign back. My son burst into laughter Why, even he was enjoying the love of this religious experience. A couple of the people were so caught up in the joy of the moment that they got out of their cars and they were walking towards me. I bet they wanted to pray or ask what church I attended. But it was just then that I noticed that the light had changed. I waved one more time to my loving brothers and sisters and drove through the intersection. I was the only car that got across the intersection before the light changed again. Well... I felt kind of bad that I had to leave them and all that love we shared. So I slowed the car down, leaned out the window, and gave them all the Hawaiian good luck sign one more time as I drove away. Praise the Lord for such a wonderful experience. And honk if you love Jesus. (laughs) I can't help it. I've told that story so many times in conferences, and I still laugh about it. And... The irony of that story is it is sort of a snapshot of how most of the world sees the church, and that is totally irrelevant. And that hurts me to say. I want you to know it's not easy to talk about. So here we are in this age, and our world has changed. Our world has become more secularized. And it was only 500 years ago that there was a Protestant Reformation of the church. It was all about getting back to the Bible. Let's do what the Scripture says. Let's be 
what God tells us in the Scripture. Today, you need to join me in praying for another kind of reformation. Not one on theology, but one on mission based on the Bible and theology. Not just a reformation, but a transformation of the local church. Back to the early church platform of being an outreach, being a mission to the people in our communities. You know, just uh, during that time of the Reformation, John Wesley in the 1700s was all about what ended up being called the Great Awakening. And what John Wesley continually preached and taught was we need to get back to the primitive church. He meant the same thing that we're talking about right now. He was talking about getting back to the church like it was in the New Testament. And as we continue, you'll figure out, you'll learn how far we drift. So, if we're going to be in mission, if we're going to be effective, we're going to be missionaries. So, what does it mean to be a missionary? So, we ask this question in many churches. In conferences, we'll ask people, does anybody know a missionary personally? And a few people raise their hands, and then they go describe someone that they know who's now at a faraway land and doing mission work in some people group, a foreign group of people where they don't yet have the gospel or they need more of the gospel or whatever. Well, think of these options and in your own mind, think of which of these options best describes the word missionary. Is it Number one, a person who reaches non-Christians to introduce them to Jesus. Number two, one who does the work of an evangelist. Or number three, a believer in Jesus who is sent by Jesus into the world to represent him. Or number four, a professional church worker who is paid to witness Jesus Christ to unbelievers, or number five, a trained and equipped mission specialist who is commissioned to reach people for Jesus in other cultures, often beyond the borders of the missionary's own country. Which of those would you say is correct? Well, it's number three, a believer in Jesus who is sent by Jesus into the world to represent him. And if you are a believer, that's you. That's me. That's everyone you see in church. Let's unpack that. The word missionary, if we're going to study missions, we might as well get right into it. The word missionary comes from the word mission, which is in the New Testament, the word sent or send. It's someone who is sent. Now, we're pretty used to coming to church and then going where? Oh, to the restaurant and having chicken dinner or home or 
to be, visit the relatives or friends or whatever. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, and this is to you, to me, to every believer in every age, at every time, in every place, in every church, John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, I send you. And that word sent and the word send in that statement is the Greek put into Latin. The Latin word is missio, from which we get the word mission and missionary. We are all under the command of Jesus, John 20, 21, just as the Father sent me to you, so also I send you. In the Great Commission, we have the Great Commission, that same word, co-mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's a go. It's a sending. Go make disciples. And that's a big sending. And that's how the Christian movement grows. Every Christian is a missionary sent into the world by Jesus to represent him. So, how in the world does this concept get lost in Christianity? Well, I have a theory about that. So, a nation as a nation, and this would be true of the United States at least up until recently, a nation grows in Christian faith. Uh, it doesn't mean everybody's a Christian. That's never the case. But the majority of people, the majority of influence, the, more, the majority of communication is influenced by Christianity. You might be old enough to remember a time when that was way more true than it is today. So the nation grows in the Christian faith. So Christians define their land as a Christian nation, which is not ever 100% true. In fact, right now, not even close. But somehow this mentality gets public that it's sort of a notion that, yeah, it, we're kind of a Christian nation. You know, we have in God we trust on our money. So, yeah, it must be a Christian nation right? Well, what happens is the mission then becomes largely focused on reaching non-Christians in areas of the world that are considered the mission field, somewhere over there. So, when we ask people at conferences, how many of you know a missionary, and we call on the people who raise their hands, they talk about people in other countries, and then we tell them, after the conference, go home, look in the mirror, and tell the person in the mirror, and point at your chest, and say, I am a missionary. For most Christians today, particularly in our country, that is an absolutely transformational thought. And I hope it is for you if you haven't already got it. So we focus on the mission over there as a nation, 
And here's what I think happened. It's just my theory. Somewhere along the line, Bible colleges and seminaries that train pastors subtly changed their curriculum, their teaching, their training of pastors. And they train pastors for managing Christians. So they don't train them to be missionaries because the theory is that we live in a so-called Christian nation. So we're going to send them to a Christian church as pastors, and therefore they don't need to be trained as missionaries. So they get trained to administrate churches and manage Christians. And how long this has been going on, I have no idea. It's just my theory. So here's what happens. And I remember when I graduated from the seminary, some of my classmates went to the the office of graduation at the seminary, and they said, I'm feeling called to be a missionary, which was immediately understood at that time as oh, I want to go overseas into some other culture, and I want to go there and be a missionary. So when they declared that, the seminary didn't say, oh, yeah, we've got more courses for that. No, they didn't. They don't. And over the years, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of pastors. Uh, and and I have discovered no matter what denomination or non-denominational uh, seminary or Bible college they went to, they, they agree there wasn't anything on how to be a missionary. So these people are sent then to what's called a mission school, which is a specialty school to learn how to be a real missionary. Well, the truth is this ought to be taught to every person who is baptized and a believer of Jesus. These basic mission principles And I don't want to scare you off. This isn't rocket science. And it's also fascinating. It's easy. You can learn this. You can do this. And we desperately need Christians in every church to learn this. In fact, at Church Doctor Ministries, where I work, we have developed the SEND movement, which is for those people in churches that want to be trained as missionaries to their own social networks, not pack up and leave the country, not get a bunch of shots and go to some scary place. This is talking about the people in your own social network. So what's happened with pastors? Well, because pastors haven't gotten any missionary training, they cannot train the people of their church to be in mission strategy again, which anybody can learn. So what happens? Well, for a while, especially back in the 1950s and maybe the 60s and early 70s, many churches continued to grow. But how did they grow? People had babies. And they brought their children to be baptized. And they took them to Sunday school. And then they grew up in the church and then there were also people that might hear about a great preacher or a great music program or a great Sunday school and they might transfer to that church 
and there were churches that grew, but in that regard, it was what they call biological growth. Children born to Christians, raised in Christian families, brought to church, or it was transfer growth, which is not reaching the growing number of unchurched people that has accelerated tremendously in England, throughout Europe, Canada, the United States, and many other places that were supposedly Christianized areas of the world. And so we don't have the mechanism to do this. So since many churches are ineffective for mission locally, what happens? The nation begins to creep little by little toward secular nation. And Christianity, little by little, becomes marginalized in the media, <laughs> yeah, in the government. And if you can't see signs of that, uh, you must be comatose because that's absolutely the concern of many Christians. What they don't realize is the issue behind the issue and the issue behind that, which is that we aren't doing qualified mission work because we don't know how. And so we have, through people who grow older and die, losses of membership, people who some are more attracted to megachurches, they're still Christians, so that counts, but they're out of their previous church. And we have a whole generation of young people that through a lot of influences from secular colleges to the media have just bailed from the Christian families that they grew up in and, oh, see the church as a place for weddings and funerals and you know, baptize the kids, but are functionally not Christians. And so now we're in a situation where there is significant momentum toward decline and aging among the people in churches and ineffective outreach to an increasingly secular nation. Now, I agree that this is an oversimplification. However, it's a fundamental reality about the church. And so we need to deal with that. And I want you to know that, not as a negative, not as a discouragement, but as, I hope, a kick in the pants. <laughs> it's not really a, a pastor's terminology usually, but uh, how about motivation, spiritual motivation, <laughs> Uh, to uh, to follow through on this podcast. And there are going to be many segments of this in the series. Uh, there's there's a lot to learn, but it's oh, it's exciting. And, and it's learnable. It's, it's teachable and it's learnable. So the objective here in this series for you uh, and, and in this uh, series of podcasts is to help you maximize the outreach potential 
God has given to you personally. And maybe to rub off on some other people, get them to listen to the series. And uh, just have them give it a shot and try. And maybe some of your staff members at church. Uh, and um, through that, uh, we're going to look at some biblical strategies. Uh, but first I want to share with you a, a, a little different angle, a snapshot of reality. If you are in the United States of America, which uh, most people listening to the podcast are, not everybody, but most of you are, as for those of us in the U.S., we have now become the third largest mission field in the world. That is, if you count the number of self-declared non-Christians, people you ask them, yeah, I'm not a Christian. Yeah, don't, don't talk to me. I'm not a Christian. We are the third largest country of self-declared non-Christians in the world. Uh, number one and two are China and India, two very populated countries. Millions and millions and millions of people and uh, not many churches. Some uh, in both China and India, and I've worked with some Christians in India that are really challenged but doing a great job. But still, millions and millions of people that are other religions or no religion at all. In the American church, 60 to 80% of the Protestant churches in America are plateaued or declining. Uh, it's not easy to hear, but it's true. 80 to 90% of Americans uh, say that they are uh, interested in spiritual matters. If you just not talk about joining my church or hitting somebody over the head with a Bible, but just say, would you consider yourself a spiritually interested person? Is there more than just the, the, the secular knowledge of life that's important? And the more troubles we see in our society, and we're loaded with them right now, um, the more open and interested they are. But here's the caveat, and this is hard to swallow, and I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. Only 35 to 40 percent of those same Americans consider the church to be relevant. Yeah, they're thinking of the pastor's wife stopped at the red light, giving the Hawaiian good luck sign to other people with the honk, if you love Jesus, bumper sticker. It's sad. It's hurtful. It is to me. It should be to you that only 35 to 40 percent of those who are non-Christians think that the church as an institution is even remotely relevant. So that means 60 to 65 percent of Americans consider the church to be irrelevant. It's a hard pill to swallow. Well, you need to know that most denominations have been declining for decades. And this is an absolute fact. It's provable. It's showable. Some non-denominational independent churches are growing. So are some ethnic churches, especially Hispanics and some Korean and other Asian groups. But the truth is we are very much a secularized nation. And this is obvious in every sector of society. I'm going to talk about those sectors very quickly and then we'll close. Number one is the family. 
Everybody knows about the disintegration of the family, the rise in dysfunctional children, the increase of chronic problems, uh, the loss of early childhood education teachers because they just can't handle it anymore, they can't take it anymore, the father in jail for meth, the mother on crack, the sleep-in boyfriend of the mother, uh, that's the family. Let's talk about business. We've got call-in sick liars, cheaters. Uh, there's uh, uh, the whole issue of how we have to guard ourselves from people that steal from our businesses. It's another segment of our society. A third segment is education. We have the rise of secular teachers in both high schools and colleges, particularly universities where they are non-biblical teachers. They teach non-biblical theory, uh, resistance to prayer and Christian concepts. What about the media? That's another segment of our society. What about TV? How about Hollywood movies? You know, it wasn't many decades ago that they didn't have to rate movies. Now, at least you get you get a warning. Uh, what it means is we're we're losing the foundation of civilization. It's just like the fall of Rome. Another segment of our society is the arts, music, language. We find blasphemous disrespect for Jesus, uh, all sorts of, of porn. I mean, the arts are just uh, a segment of society. And even religion. You need to know that the fastest growing religion in the U.S. right now is Islam. And likely due to a lot of the immigrants. But growing faster than many segments of Christianity. And the final segment of our society that molds people's minds is the government. And what do I need to say about that? We got gridlock, we got disappointment, we got government deciding right to life issues, defining what constitu constitutes a marriage or who constitutes a marriage. These are the seven mind molders. So I leave you with this. I don't mean to be negative, but I definitely want to be honest with you. I hope I have your attention. And what we do doesn't work. We have corruption in our economy. We have hopelessness among many people. The COVID-19 pandemic just stirred that further. The riots and the disruptions are all elements of a dysfunctional society. And so we have some real challenges. We have implications to this, however, that are positive. And on that positive note, I leave you. First of all, we are at a hinge point in history as a nation. This is a time of change. And change is a Christian strategy. People are receptive when they're in a period of change. So, believe it or not, there is a high level of receptivity as the Bible would call it, as Jesus would call it, it's harvest time. The, the crop is more ripe than most Christians would realize. It's just we don't have the equipment to go in and harvest it. And there are some and a growing number of pioneering Christians and churches. And that's what I want for you. And that's what I want for your church. 
And I can't imagine that you don't want that also. So, in our next episode, we're going to look at these various issues, even though it's a challenging time for us and a challenging time to be a pastor, there are symbols of hope, and that's where we will start with our next episode in this series of how we're going to become missionaries. Mission Possible, how everyday ordinary Christians become world changers. Who wouldn't want that? You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.